2: From autosport.com and autosport magazine, I'm your host, Arianna Bravo, and this is the Autosport Podcast. We are back on track, and after a year away, Formula One is at the Paul Ricard Circuit in France. We go into this weekend on the back of two Red Bull wins, but this is a track that Mercedes are particularly dominant at, and since it's return to the calendar in 2018, Mercedes have had front row lockouts in both 2018 and 2019, with Lewis Hamilton taking pole position in each year and also converting those poles into wins. Today, Mercedes topped the timesheets in FP1 with Valtteri Bottas the quickest driver with a time of 1 minute 33.448. On the soft tyres, three tenths ahead of his teammate Lewis Hamilton, And in FP2, Max Verstappen was the fastest man on track, with a 1 minute 32.872 on the softs, only 8 milliseconds ahead of Bottas on the mediums. In the midfield, the Alpines were looking strong at their home track, finishing up best of the rest in FP1 in P5 and P7. And in FP2, they came home P4 and P6. One of the talking points from today's session were the curbs at turn 2, and we saw complaints to the FIA about the punishing nature of them, and joining me to chat about this and all the other hot topics is Jonathan Noble, Motorsport.com's F One editor. John, how are you doing today?
1: All good, thank you very much. Braced for the uh, brace for both the triple header, so there's no rest for the wicked yeah. and also the uh, the football as well. So it's all happening the at the moment. Knee. Yes, exactly. We like this. Better than 12 months ago when nothing was happening.
2: Exactly. It's now all going crazy at once, but not complaining at all. Now, before we dig into today's action, I want to discuss the tyre situation that we saw in Baku. Of course, Max and Lance both had those left rear tyre failures, causing pretty big crashes and it was Quite a talking point at the last race. The tyres have been taken away. Pirelli have done their investigations and they've said that they found no production or quality defect on any of the tyres, nor was there any sign of fatigue or delamination. And they went on to say that the causes of the two left rear tyre failures on the Aston Martin and Red Bull cars have been clearly identified. In each case, this was down to a circumferential break on the inner side wall, which can be related to the running conditions of the tyre in spite of the prescribed starting parameters, minimum pressure and maximum blanket temperature having been followed. So I think it's important that we mention the distinction between the starting conditions and running conditions of the tyres. Obviously, we have the minimum pressures, the maximum blanket temperatures that are stipulated and they are regulated But sometimes the teams want lower pressures. So to achieve this, they can put the pressures at the very lowest allowed value. Um, And then by the time they get onto the track and they get running, the PSI can drop slightly, which can give them more grip. But of course it can have a negative impact on the tires. So that's what Pirelli are talking about when they mean the running conditions, they're talking about how they are actually being run on the track under load and under racing conditions. Now, Red Bull have actually come back and said, you know, we adhered to all of Pirelli's tire parameters at all points. But the statement from Pirelli is a little bit vague. It's sort of not, they're not taking responsibility for the issues, but they're also not actually calling out exactly what they think caused it. What did you take from that statement, John?
1: Yeah, so it's it's very very complicated, very political as well, um, because obviously um, the responsibility... Pirelli don't want to point the finger at the and blame the teams entirely. The teams don't want to point the finger and blame Pirelli entirely. Says so we're kind of in this middle area, but I think the situation, having pieced together where what we what we've got from Pirelli and what we've heard from the teams, is that for Baku, Pirelli laid down its minimum prescriptions of um, tire pressures. So I think it was twenty one or something. Mm-hmm. Say so as an example, it was twenty one. So the teams motivation they know that if they can get the tyre um, operating say at 21 um, when it's running then that's better for them because the tyre deforms offers more grip um, and you get better performance but the problem of having a tyre that deforms at 21 is it puts it under a lot of stress the tires deforming you get standing waves and get tyre failures like we've seen so the teams, you know, Red Bull and Aston Martin appear to be correct in saying, we followed the parameters, we followed the guidelines. So they passed the checks of the pressures and temperatures. So they hit this, let's say it was 21. Um, so when the checks are done, the tires at 21, then obviously the, the temperatures will drop a little bit as the car's in the garage or as it leaves the um, pit lane or race start, for example. So you will drop slightly. And then Pirelli's expectation is, as the tyre runs on the track, uh, as it builds up builds up heat, Um, through being pushed on the track the pressures should go up so Mm -hmm. say the level was at 21 it would go up to 23 24 psi that would be their expectation the problem was for Pirelli is that what they appear to have noticed is the tires on Red Bull and Aston Martin didn't go up that level I think Mario didn't want to give specific figures Zola from Pirelli um, but he said the difference between teams was one psi which is quite a lot of performance and a, a you know, if a team can be offered a, a tyre that's one PSI, running one PSI less than another, they'd, they'd automatically take it. Um, so this is the issue. The tyres didn't go up enough from what Prilly expected. If it had had, had more kind of indications before the weekend from the de- simulation data got from the teams, it would have changed things. Maybe, you know, track temperatures played a, played a little part in it. The car performance played a part in it. The stints the drivers are doing played a part in it. But there was a disconnect between what Pirelli was expecting these tyres to be in and what they were running in uh then which then equally opens up another can of worms in terms of whose responsibility is it then if the teams are following the the guidelines that's all they can do and Pirelli's expectations don't fit in that then you know is that Pirelli's fault is it the team's fault so there's a bit of a still quite complicated situation what's being said behind the scenes is i think slightly different than what's being said in public, and obviously drivers are concerned. This isn't like messing around with a, a rear wing that's flexing by yeah. two millimetres or five millimetres. This is a safety-critical component. Absolutely. Um, you can't mess around with tyres failing at 200 miles an hour. Um, and as Max Verstappen quite rightly pointed out, if he'd car had turned left rather than right when it failed, you know he could have hit the end of the pit wall. It would have been a much bigger accident. So, um, from what I understand, the GPDA, which is the, the driver's um, kind of union um, representative body which represents all the drivers has written to f1 the fia um, and pirelli just saying you know there's arguments going around about performance our team's chase performance too much Were well, the expectations of pirelli out of kilter but all that's irrelevant what needs to be 100 percent is tyre safety and driver safety and that is what the focus should be right now in formula one
2: so going into this weekend, what have Pirelli and the FIA put in place to avoid something like this occurring again?
1: So there's a what's called a technical directive, um, which is an unofficial kind of addition to the rule book that teams have to follow. Um, at the start of this year, it was called TD-003 because they come out in numbers. And it's basically the, the um, protocols by which the teams must um, run their tyres on a Grand Prix weekend. So it's procedures for when the tyres are measured, it lays out things like the type of infrared gun that's used for measuring tyre temperatures, it lays out blanket procedures for when you can heat the tyre blankets. So immediately after the conclusion of the Prelli investigation, TDA 003 was updated, and there's now a whole bunch of um, changes that have been made. So there's now limits in terms of how much tyres can be heated in the blankets, so strict time limits, so the tyres can't be overheated in a way to you know, drop the pressures quickly before the cars go out. Um, But most crucially um, is the fact that tyres are now going to be measured for pressure after they've been taken off the car. So if teams are doing something deliberate to not raise the pressures up uh, and they come in, it then won't hit what Pirelli's expectation is. And Pirelli's got a very complicated kind of cooling graph of what a tyre pressure should be when it's measured at a certain temperature. Uh, And if teams don't hit this, if they've been running a tyre that's quite hot and the pressure hasn't gone up in the the expectation then they'll be reported to the stewards so it'd be a lot more stringent checks now and I think particularly complicated for the teams to hit it because if they fall outside of this kind of cooling graph which um, obviously we can see but you can't see on this podcast then it could cause some some trouble post-qualifying or post-race
2: hopefully we have no more tyre failures like we saw previously because it doesn't add um, the type of excitement that we need and we would prefer that the Action is, you know, just through the racing rather than rather out of control and out of the driver's hands um, incidents. Now, looking at today's action, first day um, at the French Grand at the French Grand Prix, Mercedes, as we've mentioned, are very strong at this track typically, and they definitely look to be on much better form than they were in the previous two weekends. Valtteri Bottas was looking very comfortable, actually, in FP1 and FP2. Fastest in FP1 and only eight milliseconds behind Max in FP2. After the no points weekends in Monaco and Baku, this is a really promising start to the weekend for him, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think it's the start to the weekend he needed, really. He's had a pretty battering, battering time. Um, You know, bad luck in Monaco when he could have finished on the podium. Uh, And obviously, Baku just a disaster really just stuck in the pack and couldn't get the tires into the operator window and just kind of drifted down the order. Um, he seems much more comfortable here. They've swapped chassis around this weekend as part of their planning for the season. Um, it's obviously the carryover of chassis from last year. Um, they're trying to kind of better manage mileage this year. So they've swapped Lewis and Valtteri have swapped chassis for this weekend. um, and that appears to have helped it because they've also mindful of the the chassis that um Valtteri crashed at Imola as well. So slightly short on um perfect mileage. So there's a bit of shuffling going on there. But Valtteri's not sure if that's made any difference or not because the chassis, his Baku chassis, which Lewis now has, um you think, oh that's not very good. It was actually the chassis that Valtteri did so well with in Monaco. So so even though there may be no differences in the chassis that Mercedes can feel or can see on the data sometimes drivers just a slightly different feel can um just transform a, a driver And he's, he tends to get a virtuous circle where if a driver has a little bit more confidence in the car pushes the tires harder the tires get switched on then he has even more confidence because the tires are switched on and it kind of snowballs from there so exactly the start that Valtteri wanted and probably needed as well for his just kind of mental confidence I think Mercedes today was slightly struggling. The tyre pressures as a result of what happened back Baku have gone up a, a lot. So Pirelli's expectations that it wants teams to be at means they've lifted the tyre pressures. Um, I think Lewis referred to them as um, balloons or something earlier on today. So I think teams are getting on top of that, which is why we didn't potentially see Mercedes as dominant here as it's been in the past. Um, but I think it'd be especially interesting seeing where the, the compounds are because a soft compound today was very tricky. Definitely not a tie you want to be on for a long stint in the race the medium is not great either um so it's going to be fascinating seeing the strategy tomorrow in terms of qualifying have they got the pace to get through q2 on the medium and if not it could be quite a painful start to the race on sunday
2: yeah i'm very intrigued to see how um how they choose to go in qualifying we did see the mercedes drives being asked after the sessions but they wouldn't give too much away uh, But the tie is definitely an interesting one to watch. Now, I wanted to talk about the curbs as well, because that was discussed quite a lot in the sessions today. We saw Bottas running wide in FP1 over the curbs at Turn 2. It caused a lot of damage to his car. And then we heard Ron Meadows from Mercedes on the radio to Michael Massey, complaining about how harsh the curbs are and how punishing they are for what, you know, isn't necessarily a huge advantage that they get from running wide we also heard Jonathan Wheatley from Red Bull then later coming on the radio in FP2 saying the same thing um what is your take on the curbs are they too punishing or should the drivers just stay on the track you know we've had lots of people saying if it was a wall you wouldn't go further than that so that's how you should be treating it do you think that's fair or does this seem to be a bit disproportionate?
1: I think it should, should pretty much stick as it is, to be honest, because we we saw the start of this season, the, the unease and um, unhappiness and maybe even unfairness that you get from these kind of track limits of drivers being judged to go wide. Do they gain an advantage? or not gain an advantage? Is it fair they lose this lap time and not this lap time or you go off the track at this place and not this place? And everyone's saying if there's walls there or barriers or gravel traps, you won't be going wide. Uh, and then they put a sausage curb down um and it causes damage to the car and that's kind of almost exactly what I want it's just like imola when you made a mistake at imola you were across the gravel trap and potentially in the barriers so mm-hmm. my argument is that you know teams won't be won't be ha- very happy that a slight mistake or a gust of wind takes you off the sausage curbs and it's a hundred thousand dollars worth of damage and repairing new parts and everything but this is formula one you're supposed to stay on the track if it was a if it was a wall there, if it was a gravel trap there, um, there'd be equal troubles. And I'd far rather have um, physical incentives to stop drivers pushing wide. And if if they don't want to run wide, they just go slower. This is part of the part of the game. So I think stick with it. You could potentially maybe remove. So quite quite a run of them. So when you yeah. did hit them, you know it was five or six decent whacks on the um, underside of the chassis. You could maybe you know minimise that, but. I don't think we should be sanitizing the tracks having had all the controversies early on this year about track limits and how to police them.
2: Yeah it's a bit of a double-edged sword because as you said earlier in the year people were complaining put something physical there put something physical there and it won't happen and now we have that and everyone is complaining that it exists so it's a sort of lose-lose situation it seems but I guess the teams are concerned about the cost caps and the effect that it's going to have on that. But this is F1. Like you said, this is the pinnacle and you shouldn't be going off the track, I guess. But I'm not a driver and I'm sure it's not quite as simple as I've just made out. Moving on to Lewis Hamilton. We heard him saying on the radio today that something's just not feeling quite right in the car. We've touched on the fact that they have changed the chassis for him and Bottas. He was still doing pretty decent you know still setting fast times but things just weren't quite working for him in the way that they were for Bottas what did you see today that could explain that
1: probably I would suspect tyre pressures purely because we've known the Mercedes has been quite a tricky and sensitive car at the start of the season um obviously had the very tricky pre-season testing in Bahrain they've steadily improved it um but I think it appears to have quite a narrow operating window or the window they'd moved into is potentially not as ideal as these tire pressures go up. So it may be just relearning the relearning the platform, relearning, you know, that these cars are so finely tuned that a raising tire pressures can change the aero platform and aero balance and the handling completely. You have to rethink the whole setup approach. So I think it was just just partly that and on a, um, the job's kind of made complicated when the soft is degrading so much and the tyres aren't ideal and you've got a quite a it's a tricky technical track, poor Ricard mm-hmm. um, you know, quite complicated corners and um, kind of working out the best lines and how things change year to year so I think it's just a combination of the tyre tire temperatures tyre pressure, sorry um, the track layout a day where the degradation is quite high. And maybe also the fact that if when you get a new chassis, you are going to have these little kind of doubts and things in your mind. And if anything doesn't feel great, maybe that plays, plays a little bit as well. So I don't think it's a drama. We've seen Mercedes being far more trouble after Friday than they were in today. So I think if I was Red Bull, I'd actually be slightly concerned that on a day where Mercedes aren't particularly happy, they're not so far behind.
2: Yeah, they definitely aren't. And I'm sure that as always, Lewis will be going back and studying every aspect of it to try and find that time tomorrow. Do you think that he will come back strong enough tomorrow to potentially nab pole position? Of course, Bottas is looking stronger, the two of them, but Verstappen is also looking very quick. Do you think Lewis is looking like he could, he could grab it if he does wrap his head around the issues that he was experiencing today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think after what we saw in if you look at what we saw in Baku, mm-hmm. um, I mean it didn't necessarily come together in Monaco but for him, but it did for Valtteri. So we've seen them have really difficult Fridays where they seem totally lost with the car, uh, then they go away. Um I'm sure you know, they're all someone will already be in the simulator in Brackley, running through setups and the data from today and doing experiments and um that'll go on all night. So when the drivers rock up in the morning at the track there'll be some answers. There'll be a run plan for FP3, uh, so I've absolutely no doubt Lewis is going to be in that battle for pole position um, tomorrow. Um, I think their their biggest concern is going to be trying to nail the strategy and working out if they can get through uh, Q2 on the medium.
2: Yeah. Now, moving on to Red Bull, um, they're both sporting new power unit components today. Verstappen was fastest in FP2. They're looking good in sectors one and three, especially. What did you make of the pace of Red Bull today? Sergio Perez was a bit farther back, especially in FP2. He was down in 12th. But how are the Red Bulls looking and what's their pace looking like?
1: Yeah, it looks good. Sergio, I think, just had a day of on quick laps getting traffic and just one of those days where you didn't, you didn't get the run plan clicking together in the way that delivered you the headline time but I mean pace wise he's he's been on it Baku will have you know been a world of good for him and his confidence Um, and now back to more regular tracks that aren't you know changing in the way that a street track like Monaco and Baku does in terms of track evolution should help him even more yeah Max looks strong FP1 wasn't fantastic the Mercedes looked like they had the edge obviously as well as the the tire pressure changes as we can. We've got the, the new flexi wing mm-hmm. tests, which obviously potentially may harm Red Bull more than Mercedes, but doesn't seem to have been a dramatic difference. So I and mean, I think we're I think we appear to be into the same story we've had at most races, is that it is going to be a, a straight head to head fight between the Mercedes and the Red Bull at the front. I think neither's particularly got a massive advantage at the moment. Um maybe you know, potentially the Mercedes maybe better off on the medium than the soft yeah. compared to the Red Bull, and if 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 the gaps behind aren't too aren't too big and it's marginal, if they can get through Q2 on it, then that could be a factor. Because if one team can get through Q2 on the medium and the other one can't, then I think that that would bode pretty badly for the the team on the soft for Sunday.
2: Interesting that you mention there the more stringent rear wing tests. You haven't seen anything today to suggest that those stricter tests have had an impact on Red Bull and on any of the other teams that potentially were utilising those slightly more flexi wings?
1: No, it doesn't appear to be. But I think that the flexi wings advantage primarily came in the race because um, Mm -hmm. during qualifying and practice you used DRS so um, and the boost from DRS uh, is far far greater than you yeah, ever get from I'll a a flexi wing whereas in the race if it can give you a little bit of a, a straight line speed advantage and increase the downforce that's where the the main difference uh, can be found so we'll see on see on is another good track where if you had a flexi wing it, it would be great but I think like everything in Formula One Red Bull wasn't successful at the start of the season just because it exactly. had a wing that rear wing that flexed a little bit there's lots of lots of factors and if you take away whatever they were or weren't gaining from the, the flexi wings, whether it was the half a second that Aston Martin suggested it was worth or whether it was the 0.05 that Red Bull claimed it was worth, that lap time will just be put somewhere else and they'll focus on another area. So these things shift around. There's not one one change isn't going to suddenly stop Red Bull nor Mercedes or a Ferrari being at the front or being in the the midfield but lots of of little factors come together so I don't think it's going to serve as the, the big answer and big shock that perhaps some people may have expected.
2: Yeah that Red Bull car is incredibly strong with or without the flexi wing. Now moving a bit further down the pack Alpine were of course at their home race they've had a strong day today as I mentioned, best of the rest pretty much, Alonso P7 and P4 and Ocon P5 and P6. Were you expecting performance like this from Alpine today and from what you've seen from the lap times they were setting? Where is it that they're particularly strong around this track?
1: Yeah, it's intriguing for Alpine because um, they've had a kind of up and down season. They seem to have got some momentum at the start of the year. They had a very difficult start, then it kind of came together, then very strong in Portimao. Um, then Monaco was a um, step back, and then an even bigger step back in um, Baku, where they're struggling for pace. Even though Fernando, you know, had that brilliant restart and the, the hustled his way up to sixth place um, by the finish, but the pace wasn't there. So today they they do appear stronger than normal, but I'm also slightly would put some slight caution into it purely because it's the home race and you know big. Um, not necessarily pressure, but a team may want to just as Ferrari at Monza on a Friday would always want to show well. Um, you know, Alpine could be tempted to uh, let's just do a slightly lower fuel run, or we'll just use a slightly higher engine map. Just to get the fans in good spirit, a slightly better form, and yeah, just that. I mean, not not anything dramatic. We're not talking about you know taking a um, putting a qualifying engine in and doing something <laughs> super crazy and burning through tires and compromising the rest of the weekend. But it doesn't harm sometimes to, just as in the first race in Bahrain, they were probably too conservative on the Friday and scared themselves because they had the engine wound down too much and weren't pushing. Maybe today it was shifting it a little way, and that's that'll just be their, their program approach because you can fluctuate the time by, by quite a lot. But even even if they were nudging themselves for a little bit of a, a show-off performance today, the car still looked well hooked up, um, both of them up there um so i think it will be encouraging for them um to have had this this little bit of pace early on and just have the the consistency um and the ability to know that potentially they can can be in that kind of front of that midfield fight again
2: now of course Today's recording is one of our shorter recordings, so we can't dig into everything in detail. But looking at the rest of the midfield teams, who else stuck out for you in terms of good performance or who else looks like they should be a little bit worried going into the weekend? Not as strong from Ferrari, but we weren't expecting them to continue the performance that we've seen in in Monaco and Baku. Um, But in terms of McLaren as well, Alpha Tauri, Aston Martin, and then at the back of the field, the Alphas, Haas, Williams... What did you see today from the rest of the pack?
1: Yeah, I think, think we're seeing more of a kind of normal pecking order back to the, the normal tracks, because Ferrari, I think, clearly benefited in Monaco and Baku from the, their ability to switch the soft tyre on. So yeah. racetracks where you need to switch the tyre on, the Ferrari seems very quick in qualifying. It just seems able to go out there, bang, the tyre switched on, the pace is there. And that was the the secret to Leclerc unleashing those brilliant pole positions in, in both places, whereas now you're at a track where it's not about switching the tyre on, it's about keeping the tyre alive, uh, and it puts it back into a territory that's not so comfortable for Ferrari. So it's not really a surprise to um, see them not, um, not up there. Um, and other teams. I mean, we've seen McLaren have. It's always sometimes quite hard to read on Fridays because McLaren have had bad Fridays before and come out of it and we has got no chance of getting through to yeah. Q3 and then all the work that goes on overnight. I mean, I'd love to know cumulatively how many hours are being done in team simulators tonight, churning through all the, mm-hmm. the data and all this kind of hidden world that no that fan ever see. sees. And these hours and hours, no, exactly. So there's these hours, you know, hundreds and thousands of man hours now being pushed in to turn these um, performances around overnight. So um, it appears, I think the, the general... Appearance from today is that it's not as close a Friday as it looked in Monaco and Baku in terms of the midfield pack and the and the front. We seem to have a more standard order of Mercedes and Red Bull clearly up there, and then that midfield fight a little bit of uncertainty with Ferrari pulled back into that midfield pack. So I think I think it may be a bit more spread out here this weekend than we've had the last two races.
2: What did you make of Alfa Romeo today? Uh, we had Giovinazzi p 12 and Räikkönen P13 and FP1 and then FP2, and p P9 and Giovinazzi P11. Um, this is obviously a track that Räikkönen has performed well at in the past. He finished P7 in his Alfa here in 2019. Do you think that things could look good for them? Do you think they could get up into the points? Or do you think when it comes to race day, uh things may not necessarily fall that way?
1: Yeah they I mean Alpha have this kind of up and down mm-hmm. up and down form sometimes as well where it's hard to predict that they have w- one good day then it slips back and then they they come back the next but I think generally Alpha mayor is making steady progress. I think they had a you know really tricky 2020 not helped by the Ferrari engine but now the, the Ferrari power's lifted up a bit. Uh the team's a bit more together. Giovinazzi's definitely taken a, a step forward quite pretty strong in qualifying now as well. So you you're seeing them nudge nudge that regions of kind of Q3 and be challenging for points potentially everywhere um, on the days where where they don't make mistakes and don't get caught up in incidents. So I think we could see see them up there, but then it equally depends on teams like McLaren when they have bad days on a Friday, turning it around and being up there. Because McLaren have always consistently, despite the headaches and disappointments they have sometimes on Fridays, Lando Norris at least always manages to to pull off something brilliant on the Saturday and get up there.
2: Yeah you definitely can't count McLaren out. Um, now looking ahead to tomorrow going to put you on the spot who are you going to put your money on for pole position?
1: Uh, I'm going to go for Lewis actually just mm-hmm. because um, I think the problems today are nowhere near the problems they had in Baku and Monaco and we saw that saw the turnaround from friday to saturday and the the ability to to kind of pull it out of the bag i think switching the tires on here isn't going to be a problem for the mercedes um so we know that that's pretty strong and i think they they can get on top of these question marks and uncertainty about the raised tire pressures and the impact on the car so um and i think he'll be focused and motivated after the mistake he made in baku Uh, and determined just to have a weekend where he can nail it and the the technical challenge of this track is something that you know he he thrives on he excels at and he loves so um, i think i'm gonna put my money on him for poll tomorrow
2: we will see how tomorrow unfolds thank you so much for joining me john and you guys at home guys and girls as always thank you for listening you can drop me a message at ariana bravo f1 with your thoughts for the weekend ahead and that's all from us today, but on Autosport Plus right now, we have a range of fab articles for you to read. Alex Kalinokos has written about how Ferrari got its recovery plan working. David Marshall Lopez writes on the winners and losers of IndyCar so far. And there's also a great piece on why Albon has his work cut out in the New Look DTM. Make sure to head over and check those articles out and many more. And new subscribers who sign up today can use the promo code PODCAST during checkout to save 50% off their first payment. Go to autosport.com forward slash plus and click sign in at the top of the page. Use the promo code PODCAST and get yourself that 50% discount. And we will be back tomorrow with our post-qualifying catch-up.
0: This is it. This is the year. Enough dreaming about growing my business online. It's time to get serious about selling in my style, as big as I want to grow, because there's nothing I can't do. It's time to get Shopify and take my business to the next level. Whoa, someone's ready to take on the new year. Oh, oh, I thought I was talking to myself there. But heck yeah, 2023 is my year. That's not your average resolution. That's a revolution. It's It's a a new 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 year's Year's revolution. revolution.